You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Mission Church is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. Now we hope you enjoy the message from our Sunday gathering. Hey, what's up, Mission Church? My name is Travis, and I serve as the pastor of preaching and theology here at Mission. If you got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to follow along by checking out the screen below. You can follow along there. Now, this morning, we're going to continue in our teaching series through the book of Acts called Empowered for Jesus' Mission. You see, friends, Jesus is not done with you. He is not done with me. Jesus right now at this very moment is seated at the right hand of the Father, empowering His church throughout the world and empowering His church right here in Las Vegas. And what we saw last week is that Jesus was empowering us to face opposition. And this week we're going to see that Jesus is empowering us to face this opposition with boldness. You see, last Sunday we saw that Peter and John were on trial. Now, they weren't necessarily on trial for serving a man who was lame for 40 years, but rather they were on trial for their message. And what was that? They were preaching about the risen Jesus. You see, nobody is against healing. Both believer and unbeliever are all for healing. Just this past week in our house church, I was lamenting and complaining about injuries that I started feeling as I get older. I talked about how at 35 years of age, I started to feel my shoulder injury. How did I hurt my shoulder? Well, I heard it in college playing soccer and skating. And then I talked about when I turned 40, I started to feel this neck injury. And when did I hurt my neck? That happened in high school when I was in a wrestling match and this guy dropped me on my head. When I was complaining about these injuries, one of my friends said, hey bud, it's only going to get worse. I mean, does anybody want some healing? Most of us, right? Most of us would not be against healing. Yet what you have to understand is that the world is not against you and me serving and helping people out in Jesus' name. But rather, the world is against when we start speaking the name of Jesus. You see, the world is all for Christians helping out in homeless ministries. The world is all for for you and me helping out in orphan care and foster care. The world is all for us helping out in schools and giving people coats and socks when they get cold. You see, the problem is not when you and I are serving. The problem comes when you and I start speaking the name of Jesus. So many of us, when we became Christians, we basically heard, Jesus loves you. He's got a wonderful plan for your life. And if you just trust in Him and repent of your sins and accept His forgiveness of what He has done through His life, death, and resurrection, you can be made right with God and have a wonderful eternal life with Him. That is an absolutely true and glorious message, but it's missing out a big part. And what is that? The moment from when we become a Christian to the moment we're with Jesus. It misses out everything in between. So many of us, we heard that message, but I would argue that none of us heard what Paul had to say in 2 Timothy chapter 3. You see, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says this, In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Who is the all in this text? It's not a trick question. It's all believers, all those who are trusting in Jesus. And what does Paul say? If we want to live a godly life, we are going to be what? Persecuted. Last week we saw in John chapter 15 verse 20, Jesus says, if they persecute me, 
they will persecute you. And in agreement with Jesus, what does Paul say? That persecution is not a might, it's not an if, but it's a when. And what we are going to see today is this, that the Holy Spirit has come to empower us, yes, to face opposition, but He has come to empower us to face that opposition with boldness. Now today we're going to go through a lot of text, so let's jump in. Acts chapter 4, verse 13, here's what we read. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, if you haven't been with us for the past couple of weeks, I want to catch you up on what is taking place. You see, Jesus had healed a man who was lame for 40 years through Peter and John. And when this man was healed, a crowd began to gather to see what was taking place. And Peter and John seized upon the opportunity. They began to preach about the risen Jesus. Now, when the religious establishment caught wind of what they were doing, they immediately tried to shut it down. They took Peter and John and they threw them in jail overnight. And the next day, they put them on a trial. And it is during this trial that these men, about 70 religious leaders, were staring at Peter and John. And what does Luke tell us that they recognized? They recognized that Peter and John were uneducated. They recognized that they were untrained, but they also recognized that they had been with who? They had been with Jesus. You see, let me ask you a question. What qualifies somebody to serve in ministry? What credentials does somebody need to serve in ministry? I will tell you this, it's not degrees. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not against education. I have a couple of degrees and by God's grace, I hope to get a couple of more. The Apostle Paul, who we just read in 2 Timothy, was probably one of the most educated followers of Jesus. The Bible is not anti-education and neither are we. All I am arguing is just simply this, degrees are not what qualifies somebody. I know of people who have PhDs in theology. They have PhDs in Bible. And friends, they have no business leading a church. Absolutely, they have book smarts. They can parse Hebrew and Greek terms but they're not believers. You see, what were Peter and John know for, known for? They were known for being with Jesus. And mission, this is great news for you and me. Why? Luke tells us that the moment we trust in Jesus, that if we will humble ourselves, follow Him, and listen to Him, God will use us. You see, when you think of the followers of Jesus, you don't necessarily think of the best and the brightest. Absolutely, Luke was educated, he's a doctor. Paul was highly educated, but I will tell you this, they are not the majority. The majority of Jesus' followers are ordinary people. I mean, Peter and John, they were fishermen. Matthew was a tax collector. And we're gonna see as we go through the book of Acts, that the gospel is primarily spread through ordinary people sharing an extraordinary message and the power of the Holy Spirit. Most of the known world did not come to know Jesus through a select few, just through the apostles. But rather, the world came to know Jesus' name through ordinary people faithfully sharing an extraordinary message by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I love and respect my father immensely, but my dad will be the first to tell you that he does not know everything. I can't tell you how many times over my life, my father will call me up and put me on the spot. There was one time in which he was leading a community group or a house church, and he did not know the answer to a question that some of the people in the group were asking. 
And so I saw my phone ring. It said, Dad. I answered it, and I heard my father go, Hey, Trav, I got you on speakerphone right now. I'm in community group. We got a question. We need your help on this particular text. Immediately, he put me on the spot, right? He doesn't know everything. But I will tell you this. My father hates his sin, and he is unashamed in telling other people about Jesus. And I can't tell you how many people who are walking with Jesus because my ordinary father shared the extraordinary message of who Jesus is and what he has done through the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe it was Char or John Wesley who once said this, Give me 100 men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not whether they are clergymen, which is just like trained, you know, trained uh, pastors. He said, I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon the earth. Are you somebody that is known for being with Jesus? If you are, then you are qualified to share Jesus with those around you. But what happens to those who share Jesus with others? What happens to Peter and John? Well, look at Acts chapter 4, verses 14 through 18. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred amongst themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus." You see, the religious leaders are astonished that Peter and John were with Jesus, but they also see before them an obvious sign. What is that? A lame man, a man who was lame for 40 years. At no point has he stood on two feet. At no point has he taken a step. But now before them, what do they see? They see him standing. You see, the, obvious is, the sign is so obvious. They dismiss Peter and, and John. And they try to come up with a plan. They realize they cannot discredit what has happened. So what do they do? They call them back in and they just threaten them. They threaten them not to speak the name of Jesus anymore to anyone. And friends, what is happening to Peter and John is happening all over our world today. This past week, I was reminded of people in my life who have been threatened to stop speaking the name of Jesus. I read story after story of people who were told and threatened to stop speaking the name of Jesus. I had a friend who basically retweeted a, a biblical statement on Twitter only for the next day for, uh, for him to be called into his, his office and his employer to tell him to take it down. There was a high school student who was told that as he gives his valedictorian speech, he is not to say the name of God or Jesus. He took the stage and he started to his, his speech. Yet as soon as the name God came out of his mouth, his microphone was turned off. There was another story that I read of a middle school student who wanted to put together a See You at the Poll rally. This happens every year all over the nation where middle school and high school students show up at school, get around their flagpole, and they pray for their school, for their county, for their state, and their nation. 
She put out a flyer in the school that had a Bible verse on it, but she was told she had to pull that back because it's offensive. Yet at that very same time, there was a flyer going around of little Wayne talking about good weed and alcohol, and that was okay. And there was a Christian ministry I read about that had been feeding the hungry for 30 years. And they were told that they were no longer able to receive food unless they did away with all their Christian symbols and quit handing out Bibles to those they served. How would you handle it if something like that happened to you? Well, check out what Peter and John do. Acts 4:19. Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight or whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So the religious leaders, they tell Peter and John to stop talking about Jesus. And what do Peter and John say? No, we're not going to stop. Why? Well, let me ask you the very question Peter and John asked them. What is right, obeying God or obeying man? Of course, it is obeying God. You see, what is happening here is not trying to decide between equals. This is not like my kids trying to decide if they're going to listen to my wife, Jess, or listen to me. This is not like you and me trying to discern which medical professional we should listen to. We are to obey human authorities. But if those human authorities tell us to disobey God, this is a no-brainer. We obey God, not man. For if the choice is between obeying God or man, then God is the obvious winner every single time. You see, Jesus told Peter and John in Acts chapter 1 that when His Holy Spirit came upon them, that they will be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the other most parts of the earth. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. You, it's not that you might be my witnesses. It's not even that you get a choice to be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses when my Spirit comes upon you. And that's why Peter and John look at the religious leaders and they say they are unable to stop speaking about Jesus. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to face opposition. But the Holy Spirit, friends, is also going to empower you to face that opposition with boldness. Peter and John have seen the risen Jesus. They have seen him in flesh. They've seen him with their eyes. They heard him with their voice or heard him when he would speak with their ears. And the thing you've got to understand is they, they saw Jesus heal this man who was lame. And they heard of the story about how Jesus healed this man. And the question is, are you unable to stop talking about Jesus? If you are, why is that? Is it the fear of being rejected? Is it the fear of not knowing the right answer? Mission, you have to hear me. Whatever you fear in your life has authority over you. And if you fear people, then listen to me. The people in your life are going to be big. And God is small. Yet if God is big in your life, then friends, people are small. Think about it kind of like this. There was a pastor in North Carolina that I read about this week who each and every week was asked to come in and pray for the representatives in that state as they would do their meeting. Each and every time he would go in there, he would end his prayer within Jesus' name. Well, one day they told him he had to stop doing that. 
Yet as he walked in that week to give his prayer, he concluded his prayer in the name of Jesus. As he was walking out, he was told his services were no longer required. Why is that? Well, what's the right choice, to obey God or obey man? Of course, it is to obey God. You see, this pastor was unable, unable to remove the name of Jesus from his prayer. Why? Because he's full of the Holy Spirit. I had a friend in college who, when he showed up to campus, he was so excited to finally go into a dorm room. And when I asked him, why were you so excited? He shared with me the story of basically he became a Christian in college. He was pursuing a medical degree. And when he decided to give up that medical degree to follow Jesus and his call to be a pastor, one of his parents looked at him and said, if you quit, if you follow Jesus and you stop this degree, then you are cut off. And my friend said it was better to follow God than to follow man. You see, my friend was unable, unable to stop following Jesus and his call on his life. And so he accepted his eviction. So what do the religious leaders do? Well, what can they do? Look at verse 21. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all given glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years years old. There is no denying that God had healed this man. This is not a trick. This is not trying to play with cards. This is not some sort of David Copperfield show. He was 40 years old. Everyone knew he couldn't walk. He couldn't stand. And yet here he is leaping around, dancing and praising God. I imagine as they were trying to decide what to do, somebody possibly said, well, let's just crucify him. And I can't help it that somebody think somebody else in the room went, well, we did that last time and it didn't really work out. Some people probably said, well, let's kill them. And, and then somebody probably said, well, if we kill them, what's going to happen? They're going to come back even more bold and even with greater numbers like we're seeing right now. There was nothing they could do. So what do they do? They just threaten them some more. So what do Peter and John do once they get out? Look at verses 23 through 28. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage, and why do the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles and the people of Israel assemble together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. How could Peter and John be so bold? Well, did you hear how big God is? They go back to the very community that they are a part of and they share what happened. But notice, who do they go back to? They go back to their people. They go back to other Christians. Do you have friends and other Christians in your life that you can go to when life gets hard? You see, I would argue that part of Peter and John's boldness was the fact that they belong to a community of people on mission with them. And when these people get together and they start to pray, what ends up happening? 
we start to see how big their God is. I would argue you and I can tell how big God is to somebody by listening to how they pray and listen to how this early church prays. They call God their master. That is their sovereign Lord, the creator of you and me and everything we see. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says that you and, our, you and I are to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, when you and I pray to God, we pray to Him as creator. And what does that make us? That makes us creature. We don't pray to a God who serves us. Rather, we pray to a God whom we serve. And so many of us, when we pray, we tend to start with supplication. We tend to start with asking God for things, treating God no different than possibly a genie or Santa Claus. Yet that's not how the early church prayed to God. They recognized that God is creator. And because of that, we are dependent upon him. And we are creature. We are not creator. Not only do they pray that, but they also pray the Bible. We see that they pray Psalms chapter 2. And they recognize that who David was talking about there is Jesus. And what does he say? That the nations are going to rage against the anointed one. They're going to rage against Jesus. But if you look at Psalm chapter 2 verse 4, what does God do when the nations rage against his anointed one? The text literally says, God laughs. He laughs. You see, God is not upset when the nations rage. Neither do those who belong to him. You see, God does not panic. Neither do those who belong to him. Do you see why they can be so bold in the midst of opposition? God is not panicked. You see, in their prayer, we see that God is creator. We see that God is not bothered by the nations that rage against him. Why is that? Because the last thing we see, they recognize that God is in control of all things. You see, church, who killed Jesus? Who's responsible for it? Was it Herod? Was it Pilate? Was it the Gentiles? Was it Israel? Yes. But who do they recognize was behind it all? Whose plan was it? It was God's plan. You see, it was God's plan executed by human hands. And it's not like God had to put this idea of killing Jesus into the hearts of these people. Some of you have seen the movie Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio in which he goes in and he kind of incepts, you know, ideas or thoughts and the dreams of people to get people to do certain things. That's not what happened here. You see, God did not have to force these people to do anything. At no point as we read the story of Jesus, do we see Herod doing something he doesn't want to do. We don't see Pilate doing something he doesn't want to do. We don't see the Israelites or the Gentiles doing things they don't want to do. You see, they absolutely wanted to kill Jesus, but they recognized that this was all a part of God's plan. They were not doing anything that would surprise God, but rather Jesus' death was God's plan executed by human hands. You see, God is big to the early church. God is huge. And I would argue, when you and I pray like that, we will live bold lives. I mean, how much different would your life be, friends, if you recognize the bigness of God? I would argue that you and I would face opposition with great boldness and that a peace would come over our lives 
For we know that no matter, no matter what befalls us in this life, it doesn't surprise God. It doesn't catch Him off guard. We know that He's got it. That same father that I was talking about earlier uh, that has shared Jesus with so many people has been so influential in my life. I will never forget my dad showing up in my driveway and telling me he had cancer. And as I was sitting there talking to him about it, I looked at my father and I said, Dad, you're going to fight this. You're going to fight this. And my dad did fight it. As he went into one of his surgeries, the nurse that was taking his pulse was so amazed at how calm he was. And she asked him, why are you so calm? How are you so calm? You're about ready to go into surgery. And you know what my father did? He sees that as an opportunity to tell her about Jesus. Because my dad knows that no matter what befalls him in this life, if he dies, he's with Jesus. If he's here, he's telling other people about Jesus. And friends, like I shared with you, he doesn't know everything. And sometimes he shares Jesus in the cheesiest of ways. There was one time he was on a snap-on truck. And he was trying to work a deal with this guy. And this guy was trying to get him to throw something in for free. And, and my dad said, oh, I can't do that. And the guy goes, well, that's because there's nothing in this life that is free. And my father, without it missing a beat, goes, oh, that's not necessarily true. And with that, he told him about the free gift of God's grace through Jesus. Now, that is cheesy, right? But my father was faithful. You see, when we recognize the bigness of God in our lives, the fear of people is small. God is big, and that empowers us and gives us the boldness through the Holy Spirit to share. And listen to how this impacts their prayer request. Let's finish it up with verses 29 through 31. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant, your serv grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Underline that last verse. How would you and I pray if Peter and John showed up to our house church and shared with us that they were just arrested unjustly overnight and that they were put on trial for speaking the name of Jesus? Many of us would pray, oh God, comfort them. Oh God, help them to forgive. Oh God, send your angels around them to comfort them or give them traveling mercies, whatever that is. I mean, think about how you and I would pray. But then notice how this church prays. Absolutely, they recognize how hard this is. But they don't pray necessarily for comfort or for safety. But rather, what do they do? They say, God, embolden us to continue to share Jesus with the world around us as you continue to make much of him in our world. And what does it say, the text say, happens? That the moment they pray that prayer, that the place in which they are dwelling starts to shake, and then they are filled with what? Or better yet, who? They are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit fills them, what do they immediately start to do? Share the word of God boldly. Recently, I heard a pastor uh, use an analogy. This actually happened in his life of his, uh, his small poodle. He said that his wife was making some bread and she put some you know, dough out on the front porch for it to rise. And then he said he let out his poodle into the backyard to use the bathroom. 
Well, that small poodle caught the scent of that bread, went around to the front of, house, the, front of the house and ate all of that bread dough. Now they were concerned for the dog because as the day went on, what did that dough do inside that moist belly? It started to rise and the dog started to expand, its belly getting bigger and bigger and bigger. As the day went on, the dog started to stumble and they were like, we gotta take the dog to the vet. So they rushed the dog to the vet. They look at the vet, the vet and they say, hey, what is going on with our dog? The vet says, hey, I can pump the dog's stomach. And they said, yeah, we get that, but, but how is the dog doing? Has that bread, as it, you know, as it starts to rise, did it push on the organs? Did it affect the spinal cord? Is the dog gonna be okay? With that, the vet looked at him and said, oh yeah, your dog's gonna be okay. Your dog is just basically drunk that the bread had fermented in his stomach. So at $700 later, and as they pumped that dog's stomach, the dog was fine. Now, the reason I tell you that, not to sit there and just go, oh, poor dog, or to think anything like that, I tell you that to serve as an analogy to ask yourself this question. What is rising in your life? What is filling you up? Is it the fear of man? Or is it the bigness of God? You see, when the Spirit comes into your lives, friends, Absolutely, you and I are going to face opposition, but the Spirit comes into your life to fill you, to give you the boldness to speak faithfully for Christ in a loving way when the opposition is fierce. You see, the people, you know, you see, are you filled with the fear of people or are you filled with the Spirit of God? And how do you know? Just look at the content of your prayers. Just look at your life and see how you respond when it gets hard. You see, mission, persecution is going to happen. People are fine with us serving, but they're not necessarily okay with us speaking. And that is okay. It's normal. It happened to Peter and John. Persecution happened to Peter and John, and persecution is going to happen to us. Jesus said it would. Paul said it would. Yet the spirit he has placed inside of you is empowering you to be consistent in sharing the name of Jesus. Not in our power, but in the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now just thanking you for your grace and your mercy and your love. And I thank you, Father, that even in the midst of the trial and the suffering and the persecution, you have given us your very spirit. The very spirit, Romans 8 says, raised Jesus from the dead to indwell within us to be faithful, not just to serve in Jesus' name, but to speak in Jesus' name. So Holy Spirit, we ask that right now, just like you shook that place, I pray that you shake our lives of any fear, of any idolatry, of anything we are finding our hope and our joy, or anything that has authority over us other than Jesus. Shake it away and fill us with more of your presence to be powerful in your strength, not in our strength. To be bold in your strength, not our strength. For the glory of the Father and for the good of each and every person in our community. God, we love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.